The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 3 and can be found on page 5 of the Church Bibles. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this uh, important story. And we praise you for the things that are in it that are helpful to us. And we pray that you would help us by your spirit work these things out into our own lives. Amen. Um, for various reasons, I've promised people I'll keep things brief. A small ripple of applause or breathe a sigh of relief going through the... Uh, t- t- so, um, because, well, I want Peter to have a good, uh, stand, uh, a good opportunity. So, um, we've been going through this series and we've been looking at how, what impact... Actually, how do we understand ourselves in the world around us? And what does the Bible have to say about that? And we've spent quite a lot of time in Genesis, actually, because these are some of the fundamental questions that we often encounter with our non-Christian friends and family and colleagues. 
And so that's quite important to sort of chew these things over. And the, you know, there are house group notes, which I can send you if you haven't got them already, for you to sort of chew over in your own time. But last week, I opened up the idea that thou shalt not, you know, that command you should not do something, was actually less restrictive and prescriptive than you must do everything a certain way. And that actually human beings have a degree of freedom with some boundaries in order to be creative agents of God's kingdom on earth. And I just want to sort of develop that a little bit more today uh, by seeing what the story tells us about what happens as a result of the fall. So we've got that sort of that change from what we should have been able to do to recovering through the fall, you know, through the, because of the fall, recovering, uh, recovering some of that. And so there's a question here, isn't there, about why do we obey rules and laws at all? I'm not going to sort of ask you, you know, how many speeding tickets you've got, because you all know I've got lots of tickets for driving in bus lanes. It's just something I seem to do. It's, it's, it's who I am. Um, but, the, but normally, we, I try, I'm more attentive to bus lanes now, because, because I don't want to be punished every blooming time. But is being punished a good reason to just obey the law? Or is there something richer and deeper about it that, that tells us more about who we could be becoming, who we, who we are meant to be? Because Mike, a few weeks ago, really helpfully reminded us that we are representatives of the living God. And actually, those boundaries are there in order to enable him to fill us and enable us to reach out and do his things rather than give us a list of things that we ought not to do. So let's have a quick look at this story. It speaks really about the corruption that results from abandoning God's simple sort of setup and choosing our own version of events. That's, uh, that's a wonderful sort of attitude, isn't it? God says, I give you all of this, and we come back with a counteroffer. That's the sort of thing that we're like. Um, but whether we get caught or not, we surely, and we surely will, there is a loss of who we're supposed to be this representative, this agent of the living God. And the consequences of the fall have created two particular problems that I want to just touch on today. The first is this loss of intimacy with God. Verse, uh, verse 8 has got to be among one of the most meaningful, powerful verses in the whole Bible, isn't it? We read it every Christmas as part of our, our, our nine lessons and carols, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. Just what a terrible thing to have to do. They hid because they had this wonderful relationship. They heard the sound. Of, I wonder what he was doing. Was he whistling, humming a song, pointing out things that he liked? I just think it was a wonderful picture, isn't it, about what God was like and 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 the intimacy that they enjoyed, the, the peacefulness, the, the approachability of God, all of those things that they enjoyed, that intimate relationship. That's what was intended. And one imagines, and I can only imagine because it's not written in there, that they would say, you know what, we did this today, God, and he'd say, wow, that looks fantastic. Yeah, I hadn't thought of doing that. Well, I'm really pleased with what you did. Because we've been looking previously about how God was interested in how the people did the things he was giving them to do. And so I find that really quite a powerful verse, and it's one that I think deep down we all yearn for, to walk with God. Quite like the idea as well, it's in the cool of the day that, you know, there was, there's not much left to do. Let's go and see how they are. 
It's a sense of completion and fullness, isn't it? A sense of a good job, a good day's work done, and now to enjoy some companionship. So that's quite an interesting thing that we lose, that closeness to God, the decisions and choices that he, could have, that he was helping them with, the things that are now actually have been separated in this story. It's that corruption that's happened. It's broken. We've also lost a little bit of our relationship with, with creation, haven't we? That's now jarred. It doesn't flow. It's not, it's not harmonious anymore. We exploit it. It doesn't look like it's going to do for us what, we, what we, it was intended for. So there's that loss of things, the loss of intimacy with God in particular, which is such an important verse. And I wonder if we look forward to inviting God into our day. I wonder if we imagine that actually some of the things that we're doing are things that he might have something to say about, something to give a little nudge, a steer, something to help us with. So the first thing is the loss of that intimacy with God. And the second is the corruption of the human experience, if you like. It's just now everything is turned on its head and ruined. We have, quite clearly, we have a history now of, of male domination, of hard work, of giving birth, which might actually also refer to the physical hardship of being a nomadic people and being on the go all the time with children. Um, we have those broken relationships with creation, which I've just mentioned. And then there's this idea of toil instead of work. You know, the Hebrew word here for, for work was you know, something of religious and spiritual value. And now it's become hard graft, empty and unsatisfying and in comparison. And because we've lost those things, the fruit has gone, hasn't it? There's this picture. You can have all of this fruit is for you. All of these seed-bearing plants are for you. It's an interesting parallel. It's a sense in which what he has to give us is good for our nourishing, for our sustaining, for our growth. And those things have gone. And instead, because we've lost the first... And because we've lost those, that, have that corrupted human experience, those broken relationships where power is important, where hurts aren't heard, where needs are just sort of trampled on, we have a very different kind of experience. I want to suggest to you that the, because we've lost that fruit, because we've, we're not connected to that, or we haven't been connected to that, what we have instead is thorns, that we don't produce fruit that is rich and full of flavour and nourishing for other people. We produce things that are hard and bitter and dry and sharp. And they're not there to edify other people. They're, there to, they're things that protect us rather than nourish the other. They're things that keep us safe, ward off people who are against us, maybe against us, rather than actually building relationships. That food that was given to nourish and sustain by God isn't something that flows out of us so naturally anymore. And that's the essence, isn't it, of our relationships, if you think about it. So often, so often, without God, 
The things we produce are not nourishing and edifying and building up and growth enable people to grow. But they are just things that come out of us. You know, the analogy of you, know, you bump into somebody with a cup of coffee and, they're angry, and the coffee spills out. You know, the coffee was already there, but so was the anger that went with it. And there's something really fundamental about being human in this story. And it's something about how we're unable to be as welcoming and open as God has been. Because there's a picture of a God who just walks to see where his people are and what they've been doing. He's open to them. He's welcoming to them. He looks for them. In this story, even when they've fallen away from him, he clothes them. He gives them what they need. And so I just want to talk a little bit about another tree. That there was another tree later that God provided, a tree of reconciliation, a tree of forgiveness, a tree that brought life, and a tree that would bear good fruit for those who put their trust in what happened there. Because it's significant, isn't it, that Jesus is described as being crucified on a tree. It demonstrates that he bore in his body the curse that Adam's rebellion had brought on all mankind. His disobedience to God's explicit command brought eternal curse of death and brokenness on us all. Adam broke that covenant of life, bringing death to all and mankind, himself and mankind. And that curse is symbolized in the shame and humiliation of being hung on a tree. It's the opposite of what that tree was supposed to do. That tree was the tree of life. It was the knowledge of good and evil. It was, it was something God held us to sort of revere and hold as valuable. And the tree that we're talking about, though, is the cross, isn't it? Deuteronomy 21 says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man like that is cursed by God. There's another tree. And that tree that God gave is the cross. And it's the place where the transaction between sin and forgiveness, between rebellion and mercy, between death and life happen. Between mankind and God. It's another tree that God brings in to substitute for the one that Adam that fell us, drew us away from. In Galatians 3, Paul expands further. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the cross is the reversing of those curses. And it's the tree that's symbolic of it. And it's the tree through it, by faith, through which that fruit, rather than those thorns, grow again. It's the tree by which the life, by the Holy Spirit, grows and brings fruit that is good for people around us, that we may share the things of God with us, with others. Sorry. I'm a big fan of David Powlison, as a few of you know. And, and he said that when the heat is on, most Christians, these are his words, not mine, his words were that most Christians become functional atheists. 
functional atheists. When the heat is on, because we are separated from God, even though we think we're living the life, when the heat is on, we behave like everybody else. I, I found, when I heard him say that, I thought my heart would never get out of my boots. It was just a really sobering thought that we're okay when things are okay. But when things get gritty, we resort back to those thorns, the things that aren't born of God, but are born of us. But Paul, as I've already alluded, Paul wrote that we are new creations, that we are made new, that we are agents of this reconciliation, that we are walking with God again. And not only that he walks with us, but he lives in us. And Jesus himself said, I'm with you always, not just with the good stuff, but with the really rubbish stuff as well. We have been restored through Christ to that walking relationship with God. That is the most important thing that has ever happened in history. And in fact, it's not just a walking relationship, it's a working relationship with God. Because he's given us things to do, hasn't he? Adam's role in the world was to bring uh, the things of Eden to the rest of the world. And I'm interested in what Peter's going to say shortly, but I believe our things, our, our role in the world is to bring the things of heaven to the bit of the world that God has placed us in. That's what it means to be an ambassador, to be a representative. So how might we do that? We use this in our uh, confession for... God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The cross is central. The cross is central to to our place of being an agent of change, of being somebody who can bear fruit, not thorns, being somebody who can take the heat and come back with something gracious instead. It's really difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it is good. That's one of the things about Christianity, isn't it? Nobody said it would be easy, but it is good. And we need to remind ourselves sometimes of that. And I think I've sort of grown up with a sort of, that sort of theology in the churchmanship that would say, leave it at the foot of the cross. Leave it at the foot of the cross. And you know what? It does. You can do that. But you know what? It, it festers. Sometimes it even grows. Because you're just piling the stuff up. You go back each week with the same stuff at the foot of the cross. What am I going to do? You can't, it's not always the most helpful way of living life as a Christian when the heat is on to keep pouring it at the foot. Yeah, Jesus is happy to deal with it but, because he loves us and that's what he came to do. But there's something about how do we respond? I'll take you into the dark places of my heart. Sorry. We've worked out you can't do us for constructive dismissal. We've worked out you can't do us for constructive dismissal. How do you work with people like that? Because those were people I used to work with. We've worked out, we've planned that you can't do us, sue us, for the stuff we've planned to do to you. Where'd you go with that? I could not just leave that 
at the foot of the cross because that pile was hiding the cross. It was getting bigger than Jesus. And you, ha- you know what the most weird thing, the weirdest thing that happened was, okay, I don't know how, but I'm going to let you, Lord, lead on this. And a deep conversation in which he said, why don't you try loving them, bearing fruit instead of all the thorns and stuff you're throwing back? And you know what? You know, it didn't really change a huge amount, which doesn't sound great, actually, does it? Sorry. <laughs> but it changed, it changed me. It changed me a bit. That rather than just get locked into sort of brass-headed arguments, we were offering love and compassion and grace instead of, well, that's your problem, isn't it? That's all, you're always like that, and you're always going to be like that. Brute beasts, I once described them as. But we want to allow Christ to change those things. You need to be able to let that transaction happen in you. Allow God to say, I want you to love them. I want you to be kind and compassionate to them. And in the end, you know, things ran their course. In the end, things ran their course. But it wasn't dictated by me, and it wasn't dictated by them. It ran its course in God's time, which was the fascinating thing. Something, the, the changes that needed to happen happened without me forcing them and without them dictating them. But God brought the changes he wanted in his way. So I've rambled a little bit, I'm sorry. But perhaps this transaction, this, this fruit of evil fruit eating that we've been doing is about who who we're eating it with. Perhaps it's about inviting God to share those experiences with us more and have more honest prayer, to be able to listen to him and be able to say, that was difficult for me to do, or this is difficult for me to do, and see what he says, and see what he says, and see how he equips you, and see how he changes things. Because that's what he's come to do. Um, Paul goes on in Corinthians to say that God made Jesus sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we would be that agent of change in the places that we go to. And I think it happens when we say, I want to, I want to be fed by that tree that is the cross, that is the life-giving tree, uh, rather than the tree of condemnation and despair. So let's be still for a moment, shall we? And maybe there are things you want to lift before the Lord right now. Holy Spirit, just thank you that you come to bear fruit in our lives. And Lord, I'm just realizing the significance of that word about nourishing me, about nourishing others. And I pray that all of us in this room this morning would have hearts ready to receive your spirit so that we might bear fruit, not thorns. That we would stitch things back together and restore things to your likeness, to your pattern, rather than leave them for you to deal with later. Lord, I just pray that you would open us up to receive your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.